0: Galatians 3, turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3, and we'll we'll remain seated for this reading tonight. Galatians 3, we'll start reading at verse 19, and then we'll read through 29. Hear the word of the Lord. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not one, um, partly, part only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the Scripture has shut everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Then we turn in the back of your hymnals, and that is page 936. Page 936. And then we'll read together section 1 of chapter 28 of Baptism. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his ingrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life, which sacrament is by Christ's own appointment to be continued in his church until the end of the world. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, we, we ask that you would help us to understand your holy word, but also to understand the riches of this wonderful, blessed sacrament of baptism. Help us, we pray, to grow in grace and to grow in appreciation for what you have given us in Christ and in our baptisms. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, I know teaching of the law of God is not popular in many churches today. Uh, A lot of churches, it's all about the gospel, or maybe it's all about um, some churches. It's health, wealth, and prosperity, or what God is going to do to you if you just have enough faith, or what God is going to do for you if you just have enough faith. Now, I believe we should have faith, and I believe we should ask God to help us and seek His face for for healing and for for His grace and for His provision and all these things. However, I do believe that a lot of churches do not have much. As far as the teaching of the law. As we just read from this section, one of the reasons why we ought to have teaching concerning the law of God is that we need that teaching of the law of God to act as a schoolmaster. The law of God acts as a schoolmaster to teach us that we are sinners in need of Jesus Christ. Look at uh, verses um, 21. You could say it's a schoolmaster or a mentor. The law is Verses 21 through 22. If a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Now, of course, we know that couldn't be the case. It goes on the same verse 22. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So again, it's from the law that we see our need of Christ because we see our sin. And that's what's meant by verse 24. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Without the law, you might not even see a need for Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I, don't, I could take him or leave him. I don't need to go to church. But if you see yourself as a sin who's transgressed a holy God and transgress God's holy law, and that you're in trouble because there's a coming judgment, and and based on us having sin, that God will condemn those who are not covered by the blood of Christ, it leads people to repentance and embrace Jesus Christ as He's offered in the Gospel. What I've never noticed in today's text is that it goes on to talk about the necessity of the law, then it leading to Christ in the Gospel, but then it then flows into baptism. Notice here, he then moves into teaching on this beautiful, rich sacrament of baptism. Verses 27 through 29. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Baptism gives you something that puts you in union with people of every different ethnicity, whether a Jew, a Greek, from someone from Africa, someone from India, If you share in a Christian baptism, you are all one in Christ. You can be rich or poor, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ, according to this text. It's something that unites us together. Now, I have to say from experience that those who stand with you, oftentimes in the church, will stand with you where people in your blood family may not. I think you could say that the waters of baptism are actually thicker than blood. You're one family in Christ, and that's the way it should be in a Christian church. Uh, another passage, it's not in your outline, but I want us to turn to another passage that concerns uh, baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Let's turn there, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Actually, we'll start at verse 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, um, uh, 12 12. We'll start at 12 12. And then we read through 13. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we all were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were made to drink of one Spirit. And that's what's happened through Christ. We share one baptism one lord one faith one god and savior of all and we share we share in one holy spirit one holy spirit that works in us and i've thought of this for many years you work you try to get along with people who are outside the church and maybe there's certain quirkiness of certain groups that you have to try to please when I was in junior high there were certain things of that certain friends of mine expected to see in their other male friends and some of that was sexual immorality that was at age 13 that's what they expected to see of you and if you and if if you didn't practice what they practice one of the guys actually said man what's wrong with you that's what he said to me what's wrong with you because I wasn't like him well We have something that unites us together, one Spirit. And if you want to have a commonality of one body in Christ, it's that Holy Spirit. And the things that unite us together are the fruit of the Spirit. We should all desire to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in one another, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, self-control, things of that sort. And that's that Spirit that unites us together. Now, getting back to uh, section one uh, of today's uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 28, it says, "Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, ordained by Jesus Christ for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church." Now what it's saying here, it says that baptism, it's a solemn, or you could, you could say that's a serious Act of devotion on the part of a believer And according to being Presbyterians We believe it's not only for the part of the believer But it could be on the part of the believing parents When they baptize their their child It's something solemn, it's something serious It's not something that we take lightly And uh, I don't know if you recall But when there's a baptism There are vows on the parts of parents To raise their children in the nurture and the fear and admonition of the Lord or if it's a believer's baptism, they're vowing to serve and to, as a faithful member of the church, heeding uh, the body of the believers, uh, heeding the, le- the leadership of the church as well. So it's something solemn. Vows are taken. But it's through baptism that someone is admitted as a part of the visible church. And this uh, passage here in Galatians 3 is one of the proof texts that the OPC uses in its publication of the Westminster Confession. Galatians 3.27 All of you were baptized into Christ, uh, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, that's, that's what the OPC uses as a proof text of how baptism unites us into the, into the visible church. But I think this passage in Galatians 3.27 speaks more than just being a member of a visible church. It speaks of what Christ does for us to give us salvation. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you need robes to stand in in God's sight. There's a lot of this in the the Bible. Remember the parable of the wedding feast? The man who didn't have his wedding garment was cast out because he didn't have that wedding garment. Uh, Revelation 7.14 speaks of the saints in glory who were dressed in white robes that were made white in the blood of the Lamb. They had their robes washed and were made white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, you would think washing a robe in blood would cause it to be red, wouldn't it? Yeah, but not so with the blood of Christ. It's a picture that what Christ does is His blood makes us clean and pure in the sight of, of God the Father. It washes away all our sin, makes us pure. Again, uh, I I believe though as well that the robes are not just clean robes washed by the blood. I think it's also the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us, that's reckoned to us, that's considered ours through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 which says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Um, So, I believe baptism, again, it's not something that saves you. It's a sign or a representation of what God has done to save us. Now, if you really want to know more about that, and that particular, um, I would say, difficult passage in 1 Peter 3.21, I have a footnote here. You can look up uh, one of the prior sermons I did on chapter 27, sections 2 and 3, how sacraments extend grace. That will give you an explanation of that, and I won't go into that again. Now, lest somebody in the the church look at us and say, I don't know, the language of this confession and what you guys are teaching here, I think you're practicing baptismal regeneration. Now, what's that? What's baptismal regeneration? Well, it's kind of what the Catholic Church teaches. They believe that, uh, well, the Catholic Church teaches that when a child is baptized, original sin is automatically washed away. It doesn't matter if the person has any faith connected to it or not. It's just automatically washed away, that original sin. Well, we don't believe that a person, once the waters of baptism are done, that it automatically makes a person united to Christ, automatically saved, no matter what they do, no matter how they live, that they're automatically saved. Um, Westminster Shorter Catechism 91 says this, How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? Answer. The sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not by any virtue in them, or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his Spirit in them that by faith receive them. So whether it's the Lord's Supper or whether it's baptism, both sacraments do not extend grace unless they are united with faith. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more when we get to section 4, We're going to talk a little bit more about the matter of faith for the sake of believing parents, and why we believe uh, this baptism of infants of of one or both believing parents is important. And yes, there is faith involved. Of course, it's not the faith of an infant, but it's the faith of the parents in vowing unto God to raise their child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And then, when a child gets older, they have to own that Christian faith for themselves. They have to own their baptism, own their calling in Christ. Section 1 continues to teach that for the one who has received this sacrament, baptism is to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, his ingrafting into Christ, of regeneration of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. Now, a sign, and we'll go over this again, a sign and a seal is the language of what a sacrament is. A sign is something that represents another thing greater than itself. Um, A seal, is a good illustration of the seal, is like that wax seal placed on, an, on the documents of old or maybe that scroll by the mandate of a king that was sent out by messengers and it had that signet re- ring pressed that seal in there. You knew it was legitimate. That's what a seal does. It, it shows authenticity and legitimacy. So the, the sacrament is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. This engrafting in the Christ is language of being united to Christ. Uh, of course, we know what regeneration is being born again you were raised to newness of life, um, remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins, and I like this language, of uh, the giving up unto God, through Jesus Christ, to walk in newness of life. If you are a baptized person, you cannot, if you're a true believer, live like the world. Why? Because you're called to walk in the newness of life, not like the rest of the world. Now, i want to read you a, a little section here from G.I. Williamson it's a it's a fantastic book if you really want to study the, the Westminster Confession you really should have G.I. Williamson's commentary on uh, the, the, the uh, catechism it's called the Westminster Confession of Faith for study classes so here he says this according to what was, was just read in this section one it says the meaning of baptism is rich it is a sign and a seal not of this or that part of a certain great work of divine grace and of covenant privilege, but of the whole complex wonder of it. Baptism is, as it were, a great motion picture which shows forth the great work of God whereby dead sinners are brought into life, into living union with Christ and with God. I think that's beautiful. It's a grand, you could say, moving picture of how God brings us to himself. And one of the amazing beautiful things in how God accomplishes that, especially in those of us who uh, baptize our youth, is that yes, God makes we we make vows and promises, but God blesses and uses parents keeping those promises as instruments in helping to bring their children to come to a fear and admonition of the Lord. Section 1 says, it closes by saying this, which sacrament, speaking of baptism, by Christ's own appointment is to be continued in his church until the end of the world. Now, what's it talking about? Appointment. That word there, appointment, could also be it could also be an institution. Christ is the one who appointed or instituted or said that we must practice baptism. And I have there printed in your outline, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. Here's the, where the institution or appointment of baptism comes. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends or to the end of the age. Now, I believe what we have here in Matthew 28, where it talks about the end of the age. The end of the age is the same thing as the language here, the end of the world in the Confession. End of the age, end of the world, same thing, really. Now, we must interpret, I believe, the end of the world... As the end of the world as we know it, when and it, it, this world as we know it will end and will be changed when Christ returns. So, the mandate to carry out baptism and the Great Commission must continue until the end of this present world. And what is what's going to happen at the end of this present world? Two key passages have to be looked at. Here to understand what is the, the very basics of what will come to pass when Christ returns. Um, it says in 2 Peter 3, 7, By his word, the present heavens and earth being reserved for fire, kept for the day of destruction of ungodly men. So the, the current present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment. So God is going to cleanse the whole earth with fire just like the the waters during Noah's flood, the days of Noah, covered the earth. There will be fire covering the entire earth. But what's going to happen to the earth after the fire? It says in Revelation 21, uh, 1 and 2, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Uh, it was burned up, the earth was at least, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So until that time, when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, wherein the earth is cleansed with fire, and where there's a new heavens and new earth and a a new Jerusalem coming down, out of heaven onto earth, we are to continue this mandate of baptizing the nations. Not just baptizing, but discipling them, to teach them all things that Christ has commanded. And again, teaching them what Christ has commandment, commanded is to teach them to walk in a newness of life. You don't, you don't just get baptized to, and, and to become a member of the church to live any, any way you want. You're called to live as a new creation in Christ in a newness of life as lights of this kingdom. Let's pray together. We ask our blessed Lord that you would help us to grow in the appreciation of what you have done for us through baptism. Help us to understand the rich and beautiful and sweet doctrine of what you have done for us through Christ, how that through his blood that we have been washed clean, and that through uh, his perfect righteousness you have given us robes that are white and pure, that we can stand in your sight. Help us, we pray, to grow in our understanding of these blessed truths of the gospel, but also see how it connects and it is represented in this glorious sacrament of baptism. And Lord, we, we pray and we do ask that for those promises made by parents to teach their children, Lord, help the parents, Lord, to, to, uh, to be faithful in keeping those promises. And Lord, help uh, even us and my family to keep these promises, to raise our children in the way that they should go. Lord, to keep these vows is serious. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to rejoice in what you have done for us through Christ our Lord. Would work in our hearts and our minds. Help us to believe and trust in these things, for we ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> for our closing hymn, um, we're going to turn to one ninety-three, and we'll sing stanzas one through four. Baptized into Your name, most holy. It's a familiar